This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Wrap. I'm John Moore, and this is Friday, January 20th. The forecast for today, cloudy skies again. There's a chance of some flurries or drizzle, and the temperature will hold more or less where we are at one degree. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, an alleged gun causes a panic at Mark Garneau's school. Number two, the family of a murdered homeless man in Toronto wants the accused to be named. Number three, ISIS women and their children are coming back to Canada. Number four, Alec Baldwin faces a murder charge. And number five, rock folk great David Crosby dies. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Welcome to your Friday, and that's sort of a glorious slash sad way to begin the day, because we're paying tribute to David Crosby, who has passed away at the age of 81, as we will do through the show this morning, because we were just talking as we got ready for the show of the artists that we've lost in the last few weeks, and it always seems that we lose a lot of people between Christmas and the end of January. And there's actually some scientific research that suggests that for whatever reason, be it that it's the depths of winter or that people somehow will themselves past Christmas and maybe past New Year's, um, but more people do die at this time of year. Uh, But also, I know that my dad would argue with me if I say that he hasn't been stolen away too soon at the age of 81, but when you consider the life that David Crosby lived and the fact that he underwent a liver transplant, then 81 is a pretty good long age. But what an extraordinary life career. What an extraordinary legacy. I was driving in in the car and listening to uh, a rap that contained probably 20 different songs that he is associated with, and they're all glorious. And I guess part of the reason for that is because he straddles a few genres. I mean, he's rock folk, um, collaborated with other artists, did his own songs. Um, I love the, the, the way that they write in the New York Times, where they, you know, one of the paragraphs, Mr. Crosby's images, image as the twinkle-eyed stoner and sardonic hedonist of the comic age, or cosmic age, I should say, was said to have been a model for the obstinate free spirit played by Dennis Hopper in the 1969 movie Easy Rider. That is one fine bit of writing, but more importantly, it's one fine capture of a remarkable pop culture figure. So, will enjoy and it's kind of you know it's kind of into a groove on a friday as well jerry Yeager used to do his motown friday and eventually i guess he felt that that has had its time so he retired it but there's a different attitude on a friday morning and so being able to enjoy some classic folk rock today and pay tribute to david crosby is fantastic and also uh richard kraus is here on uh, at 650 this morning Normally on a Friday, it's Maureen Holloway, and Maureen's off on a trip, so I thought, let's bring in Richard, and the timing is perfect, because I I was going back and forth with Richard yesterday, and I said, listen, the, the segment's not just about 
uh, entertainment. It's about lifestyle. It's just basically about stuff people talk about. And yet there are some major entertainment slash news stories today, including the passing of David Crosby. Also, and this will be on the agendas today, there is the fact that Alec Baldwin has been charged with murder in connection with the on-set shooting that happened um, that killed a cinematographer. And I have some pretty firm opinions about this based on the fact that I've worked in the industry and I've handled weapons on set. Um, but we don't need to get into that right now because there are some hard news stories that we need to deal with. Now, I think we have to give some nuance to this incident at the Mark Garneau Collegiate Institute yesterday. This is a, uh, well, it's a collegiate near Don Mills Road and Overly Boulevard. And there is a video. So again, we're sort of back to the video that we were talking about yesterday morning where a fight that was to my eye, a fairly routine high school girl-on-girl -girl fight. I mean, stuff like that. We all went to high school. People fight. But now everyone pulls out their phone and they videotape it. And next thing you know, somebody's calling CTV and saying, you got to send a reporter. I'm still not convinced that that particular fight, it may have had some racial overtones, but still, I don't know how it materially dif differed from fights that probably break out every single day in high schools all over North America. But back to what happened at Mark Garneau yesterday. And the key question here is, in spite of the fact that a kid in a video says he's got a gun, I've been going over the case and I can't find that anybody ever recovered a gun. And police were called to the scene. But here's what kids had to say. He has a gun. He has a gun. He has a gun. You. He has a gun. You. Okay, so that's the audio from the video. Uh, here's what some of the kids had to say after the fact. There's a fight breaking out on the uh, volleyball court and a bunch of people started fighting. Um, I was looking for my friends, trying to gather my stuff when um, I heard I'm gonna kill you and people were fighting over a bag that supposedly had a gun in it. When people started running around, it was crazy. People just started running around. I just found it. I took my stuff and the teachers were directing us. So, again, to return to the fact that just because somebody in a video that was contemporaneously recorded during a violent incident, just because somebody says he's got a gun, doesn't necessarily confirm that there was a gun involved. And Toronto police were called to the scene and the school was under lockdown. And again, I find no record here. And maybe we'll update the story at some point this morning. And uh, Toronto Police Service will say, yeah, we recovered a gun at the scene. I mean, it's not to be discounted. But I also, I was saying this yesterday on the show because we've had a series of incidents, all of which are worrisome in our schools. But I'm not necessarily ready to catapult ourselves into some discussion about how violence is so completely out of control in our schools. I will go back to the talking point that I firmly believe in the program that placed police officers in schools. I always thought that was a great idea. And not because they were supposed to be there as sort of sentinels and, you know, as, as towering enforcers. I think it was that the presence of a police officer in a school necessarily makes it a safer place. But on top of that, it also 
engenders a relationship with young people about how police are not the enemy, that police are actually just working within the community to, you know, to maintain the peace. I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we're going to restore that particular program, which I think is, is really too bad. Um, you know, the idea of placing a police officer in a school, for me anyway, and I realize I'm not a racialized individual, but I always thought it was, it was a natural, it was a no-brainer. But I also get it. There are segments of the community who think of police as the enemy and the very presence of police as a threat. All right, time for what Toronto's talking about with News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, happy Friday. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I always feel good on a Friday, so happy Friday to yeah, you as same well. Same here. I echo that sentiment. All right, John, let's get into it. This is becoming uh, quite, I don't know if you can call it a trend or whatever it is, but, you know, we saw that replica gun that we talked about this week. An outreach worker shot last week in the shoe, and now a teen is in custody after a gun was reportedly seen at a Toronto high school. The video of it, the lockdown, pretty, pretty uh, frightening. Yeah, the video, you're right, is quite alarming. And this happened at Mark Garneau Collegiate Institute. This is near Don Mills Road and Overly Boulevard. And you can see in the video, actually, it's kind of hard to see what's going on in this video, but you can hear the audio very accurately where somebody says he has a gun. He has a gun. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that we need to emphasize here is that according to uh, the, the research we've been doing, police have not said whether or not they recovered a gun at the scene. But still, this is part of an ongoing... Uh, issue where as soon as somebody detects a pattern, which as you said, they have, which is that there have been a series of violent incidents involving knives and guns in school, people start to panic. Mm -hmm. I'm not absolutely convinced that we have some sort of out of control situation in our schools, but a video like this is definitely alarming. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And John, you know, we've been talking about the, the man, 59-year-old Ken Lee, who was homeless at the time, uh, fatally stabbed near Union Station by eight teenage girls. And now his family speaking out and they're kind of slamming the youth justice system, saying, why can't the perpetrators be identified? Yeah, and this is something we'll definitely debate on our roundtables on our show on News Talk 1010 today. The family describes Lee as a kind soul with a heart of gold. And everybody's going to remember this was a, just a horrible incident where, I mean, 13 to 16-year-old girls are accused of having gone station to station to station on the subway wreaking havoc and then ended up allegedly swarming Ken Lee, age 59, and stabbing him to death. And you're right, the family is calling for these juvenile offenders to be publicly identified. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to amend the Juvenile Offenders Act, but the family definitely wants to raise some questions about the protections that juvenile offenders enjoy. Mm -hmm. All right, turning to this now, some health care news. Uh, Premier Ford saying, hey, health care workers from other provinces, come work in Ontario. We'll get rid of that bureaucratic paperwork. They're saying, as soon as you get to Ontario, we can get you to work. We're waiting with open arms and <laughs> jobs to fill, says Doug Ford. This is making a bit of an impact. I was talking with people in Quebec yesterday among Francophone nurses who you may know are involved in a series of protests. But the question a lot of people are raising is, listen, Ontario is one of the most expensive places in, in mm. Canada to work. Why would somebody move from somewhere else and come to work in Ontario? We're going to talk with one nurse activist today. 
about whether or not he believes that this is actually going to tempt anybody from another province. Mm -hmm. Especially when the nurses here are still calling for the repealing of Bill 124 and they want so much more from what the government is offering right now. All right, we'll see what happens there. And, and this news, John, uh, Canada expected to repatriate six women, 13 children detained in a Syrian prison where the condi conditions were just awful. Yeah, I think this is going to be something that people are going to very fiercely debate. Canadians are always wary of bringing people home who may, may have participated in terrorist activity or been associated with it. I can tell you a couple of years ago I did a mini documentary about uh, this particular detention camp. And the thing is, a lot of these young women who came from Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and England and went to uh, the war zone, they, they were naive young people, some of them as young as like 16, 17 years old. Mm. They were married off, sometimes against their will, to ISIS fighters. They ended up having kids. Sometimes their husbands were killed. Then they ended up as these sort of stateless individuals in camps. So I'm not necessarily endorsing the idea that we're repatriating mm. these uh, women and their children to Canada, but I'm telling you, they're, they're some fairly impoverished and uh, victimized individuals. Yeah, and I'd read that the the men who are part of that, you know, group are not being allowed to, to get repatriated. Okay, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But John, uh, this is interesting because I lived in China, Beijing for about 10 years. And I think that's where my kids got their screen time addiction habit. But China is now keeping a one hour <laughs> daily limit on kids online games. So hard to implement. They, yeah. And actually, it's quite heavily enforced. This isn't just about providing some sort of guidance, one hour a day of gaming. And you can game a little bit more on the weekends and on holidays. Um, but they actually use things like facial recognition and accounts with confirmed entry in order to limit kids to one hour a day. But I can also tell you, because they're celebrating the Lunar New Year between mm -hmm. the 21st and the 27th, that as a bonus, they will get extra days for online gaming. <laughs> that sounds about fair, uh, given that it's the largest human migration in the world. <laughs> okay, News Talk 1010's John Moore. Catch him Monday to Friday, 5.07 to 9 a.m. John, have a great weekend, a great show. We'll chat with you next week. Jennifer Sheng over at CP24. I did not know that she used to live in China. I want to rush over to the other building on our campus and find out more about that. I'm always fascinated at people who have led what I guess for me are exotic lives. I find this Chinese gaming story quite compelling, and I certainly put it on the agenda this morning for what we call debatables, because it's, it's fascinating in China. I mean, I realize it's because they have a dictatorship, an extraordinarily obedient society. But, you know, in Canada, what would we do? We'd say, we don't think gaming's a great idea. Hey, parents, here's a little bit of guidance. Maybe your kids should only game this much per day. But in China... They actually, as I was telling Jennifer, introduced means by which kids are locked out of gaming. Because most gaming now, I think a lot of people my age probably still think gaming's about going out and getting a cartridge and putting it in a machine and then get... Most gaming is part... It, it's like signing on to your bank website or, or signing on to, you know, Adobe software and stuff like that. So the kids are actually locked out. They only get a certain amount of time and they use facial recognition. That is something we would never settle for in you know, North America. And it's not just sort of libertarians. Nobody would just, nobody would put up with that, the idea that the government could tell you. But I mean, in China, 
their version of Facebook as a means of tracking people where they are, who they're seeing, what they're doing, who they talk to, and um, ratting people out. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. You're listening to More in the Morning on News Talk 1010, Toronto. Everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season turn, turn. 5.35 is the time. Plenty of artists leave an iconic catalog, but I have a feeling we're going to have the frisons a few times on the show this morning. Because... You know, the, the Crosby catalog is kind of one of those things, a bit like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and a few other artists where, you know, it's it's almost cine- like cinema, and mostly because it's been used in cinema, as a matter of fact. So all, automatically you're triggered by one track or another to think of an era, a time, a movie that you saw, an historic thing, uh, you know, Woodstock, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, sad day with the passing of David Crosby. He leaves behind, I was looking through the obit and I think it's four kids and I'm not sure if they're counting Melissa Etheridge's two kids because she revealed that she and her girlfriend, her then girlfriend had two kids with a sperm donation from David Crosby, which is kind of a devil's bargain, isn't it? Cause you have to think of the transcendent talent that might be passed on through those genes, but also some pretty serious, you know, addiction issues uh, from drugs and uh, alcohol uh, to the point where he blew out his liver and ended up getting a transplant. But, you know, let's not dwell on the miserable. What an incredible legacy he leaves behind. It's 537 and Nick Marano, we've been tremendously negligent because we've made it 37 minutes into the show without declaring that this is. Thank you very much. Let's put the smoke up the chimney so that everybody out in the square outside of the radio station will know that we have declared it to be a sweet, sweet Friday. Lots of things to talk about today. Uh, Doug Ford saying yesterday, as we were discussing on CP24, that Ontario is ready to welcome medical workers. Now, the emphasis here seems to be on nurses, and I guess there is a critical nursing shortage, but pretty well any medical worker is going to be welcomed to Ontario. Now, the thing is, they're not paying any signing bonuses or anything like that. All they're saying is that as soon as you get here, if you have the right experience and paperwork that you will be expedited and approved to work here. Now, this is a sweet idea, but the problem would be that this is an extraordinarily expensive place to work and, or to live, I should say. And as long as we continue to hold nurses to 1%, then, I mean, the nurses who are working in Ontario already are not terribly happy. So why would anybody relocate to Ontario uh, to work here. But, you know, whatever we can do to try to alleviate, I mean, I'm just glad that we're finding ways to expedite new arrivals toward whatever it is they're already trained to do. And frankly, I would extend that to pipe fitters and uh, form builders and every other means of making a living that is somehow licensed or government accredited. Um, because there are, you've all had this experience, you get into a taxi or an Uber. I was driving around in an Uber once, and I'm not a big talky guy when I'm in a cab. 
or in a higher car, as people would say. And the reason for that would be, first of all, I'm not a big talky guy. I know that would surprise you because we're talking right now, but that's five to nine. And the rest of the time, I'm a pretty quiet guy. I just sit. As a matter of fact, if we can get into a third sidebar, and I realize this is turning into one of those uh, storytelling experiences from the little Ronnie, who was a guy who would sit in a chair halfway through a show called The Two Ronnies, and he would tell what is known in the business as a shaggy dog tale. And he would constantly veer off into some sidebar. And you'd always think he's never going to come back. He's never going to finish the joke, but he always would. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, how this show works sometimes. So the quick sidebar to all of this would be that years ago when I was doing the afternoon show and it was my first couple of years in Toronto and I still had a home in Montreal where my partner lived and I would we would trade one weekend after the other. So uh, I would uh, hop in a hire car, go to the airport on a Friday and fly back to Montreal. And one night it was, well, I'm not going to identify the company, but it was a hire car company. And the guy was a total white supremacist. And he was going on and on. And I'm thinking, how long is it going to take to get to the airport? It was about the Jews and the gays and the Muslims. And I just thought, how do you make a living? So when I opened my Uber account, there's actually an option, as you probably know, that says, do you like conversation? I think it says, do you prefer a quiet ride? And I ticked quiet ride. Uh, but occasionally I do strike up a conversation and I was in an Uber not long ago and I found out that the guy driving it was from Syria and he was a radiologist. And yet here he is driving Uber because he can't get whatever paperwork he needs to be a radiologist. So uh, this morning we're going to be talking at 7.05 with Tyler Watt, who is a nurse. And yes, for full disclosure, Tyler Watt ran for the Liberals in the last election, so maybe he's no friend of Doug Ford and his conservative administration, but he's also a nurse. And so, you know, of the many people we could talk to today, mostly because uh, Joe Christiana helped me out for a moment, did, we did ask some of the uh, nursing unions and they all took a pass? Or we, they... Yes, we asked uh, someone from the Ontario Nursing Association and unfortunately was unavailable. And so I had Tyler's phone yeah, number and I'm like, I hey, Tyler, yeah. I need to talk to you. Okay, so we're going to talk to Tyler Watt about that. Uh, I do know because I got a text from one of my friends in Montreal yesterday and he said apparently this is making big ripples in Montreal uh, that nurses might be poached out of the Montreal hospital system because they're very unhappy right now. And then, you know, win-win, I guess, we'd end up with all these delightful French-Canadian nurses working uh, in Ontario hospitals. So a lot of discussion about violence in our schools. And this is an entirely worthy discussion. But at the same time, I'm always reluctant to take, you know, something happens one, two, three. And we have had a one, two, three. I mean, we had a 13-year-old boy pointing a toy gun at a, um, at a school. We had a kid who got knifed at a school. And yesterday at Mark Garneau Collegiate, we had a fight happening, captured on video, and at the very least, in the audio, somebody says, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. Now, police still have not confirmed that they found a gun. They did arrest a kid. So this is a discussion we definitely need to have. But at the same time, I just, I, I never want to be an old man sitting on a park bench saying, how did things come to this? And why is life so awful? And it used to be better back in the day. Because kids fight. 
Um, weapons should not be in school, but occasionally it happens. On Jim Richards' show last night, News Talk Tonight, he was talking with uh, Karen Littlewood, president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. And Jim actually asked, okay, so is are things different now from, say, five and ten years ago? First of all, I'll say that education workers get into that field because they want to work with students. And what we often find is that there is underreporting of violent incidents. So this is not as a result of the pandemic, but the pandemic kind of put a little bit of pause on, of course, because we had closures and school, um, people from home learning but violent incidents were quite prevalent before as well. And I'm not just talking about high schools. I'm unfortunately talking about the entire school system. In uh, 2017, OSSTF started to request that there would be an education regulation of the Occupational Health and Safety Act in Ontario. The Liberal government had promised they would work towards that, but they were not re-elected. And, and so sorry, hold seen- on one second. What would that do? So it would be more specific as far as education and what can be done. The Occupational Health and Safety Act right now really is um, for industry and for businesses, but it's not the business of people working with people and the challenges that we have in education. So what we have is workers who say it's, it's not worth it to report, nothing's going to happen. What we need is the government to step in and say, let's make sure we have the education team fully funded, that we have the adults in the building that we need, that we're making sure that schools are safe for everyone. And at the risk of, you know, beating the same nail down with the same hammer, I still think police officers in school is not a bad idea. I guess my question to anybody listening right now would be, is that a non-starter? I mean, I I realize going back to carding is never going to happen because carding was completely unacceptable. Um, But for very much, for some of the same reasons, which was that racialized communities objected to the presence of police officers in schools, that program was discontinued. But is that something we can never go back to? I don't know. I guess there's a few activists I could talk with and, and find out. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. I'm always loath, as I was just saying about violence in our schools, to necessarily identify a pattern where it may just be a series of things that happened that are entirely unrelated. However, I do think we have a problem on the TTC, and I think it urgently needs attention because one of the issues would be that people start to feel so unsafe on the TTC, they stop using it. And we already have enough issues. I mean, people were afraid during COVID of being cheap by jowl with other people. And still to this day, I think some people don't want to be in crowded situations. So there's an issue. Um, But the fact of the matter is that on the TTC, be it just that there are some people who may kind of creep you out when you're uh, in a station or on a train, factor into that. Things like the attack which took place at the Young Bloor station this week, and we have issues. Mind you, John Tory says, okay, I get it. We're, we already have announced we're hiring new people who are going to be responsible for security on the TTC. Knowing that you can't have somebody that's a street outreach worker or a mental health worker or a special constable on every single vehicle, every single platform all at once. It's not practical or possible to do that, but we have made provision in the budget for 50 uh, special 
special constables for additional uh, streets to homes outreach workers because some of the people are experiencing homelessness who are finding their way to transit stations and to the uh, transit vehicles. And that's one of the issues, obviously. We've, again, been talking about this at length over the last few weeks. Then people have used the expression that the TTC is becoming an arm of the homeless shelter system. And the thing is, if you've been on the TTC, I certainly have been. I'm not a daily TTC user. I'm one of those casual users who, for example, on the weekend or in the evening, leave the car at home, jump on the TTC. And there are homeless people sleeping on benches in the stations. There are people panhandling on the trains. And I'm not sure what the approach is necessarily going to be when it comes to even though we're going to hire 50 new people, but are they going to roust somebody who's sleeping on a bench in a subway station and say, you got to get out of here? Um, and I don't know what the long-term fix is. I mean, I did this deep dive in the fall on homelessness and I, I learned the breadth of the problem. I learned nothing about what the solutions might be. And I found that very disorienting and uh, kind of a sad situation. Because in the mornings, I park at a garage underneath the Scotiabank Theater Complex. And I'd say four days out of five, there is somebody sleeping in the parking lot. Sometimes there's like multiple people in one parking space having like a party. Other times somebody's asleep on the landing in the staircase. Most certainly every day it smells like urine in the staircase. Um, you know, somebody propositioned me the couple of days ago as I was uh, stepping out of the parking lot itself. And I, you know, I don't know what the fix is. We can't jail people. We can't lock somebody up against their will in a mental health facility. But this situation is untenable. And not just because, oh, I had to climb over a home. No, it, because those lives need to be uh, protected and looked after. So, uh, well, I don't think that's on the agenda today because, like I said, there's no solutions. And I tend not to do, when we get into what we call our debatables, discussables for the roundtables, um, I try to avoid hand ringers, as I call them. Because if we're just going to sit around and say, isn't it terrible? Well, we're not going anywhere. So if there's nothing new to add to the debate, then we keep moving. Can I mention, I was just on Twitter during a break and I came across a panel from BBC News. And it was about uh, Jacinda Ardern, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand and the fact that she has resigned. And I didn't talk about that yesterday because I, I don't really care. Like, who needs to be preoccupied by the prime minister of a country with a population of 4.5 million people? They're part of the Commonwealth. That's great. But um, the more pointy-headed pundits, I suppose, get very preoccupied by a story like this. I know there's been a lot of think pieces about, well, if she's leaving, why doesn't Justin Trudeau leave? Maybe that's going to happen. But when I came across the panel, it's a BBC report. And the headline is, Jacinda Ardern resigns. Can women really have it all? And I was listening to a report in the car on my way here as well. And it was all about the fact that she was elected in 2017. She had a baby while she was prime minister. And hasn't it been a struggle to be a mother while being the prime minister? And it occurred to me, has anybody ever asked how hard it is for Justin Trudeau to be a father while being prime minister of Canada? I don't ever remember somebody raising that. But I get it. 
It's because whether we'll admit it or not, there is this huge gap between how we regard motherhood and fatherhood. And it's why your male friends will always say, if you call them and say, you know, you want to do something tonight? I can't, I'm babysitting. You're not babysitting, you're parenting. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.